Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Life Hacks. This series looks at helpful strategies from the book of Proverbs to help us live life well now and to prepare us for eternity. Uh, today we're going to be continuing our series Life Hacks. We're going to be looking in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. A fairly well-known proverb. This is probably one you've heard before. We're going to be looking at the topic of fruitful friendships and relationships. So Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Uh, as always, it, the text is there in the welcome booklet. It'll be up here on the screen and you can follow along in your Bible. We're going to be jumping around to a bunch of different uh, verses today. Uh, all over the scripture to talk about this issue of friendships and companionship. So hear now the word of our sovereign God. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Many of you may remember uh, the classic Disney movie Pinocchio. The story where the man Geppetto had made a little, uh, a little marionette and P Pinocchio came to life one day and he wanted to be a real boy. You remember, that was the kind of the, the thing in the movie. And uh, he's told that you can become a real boy if you will be brave, truthful, and unselfish. And he's given a little companion, Jiminy Cricket, as his conscience. And the Disney version is different than the original book. But they do have a, a common theme in them, which is as Pinocchio goes along in this struggle, there are different types of companions or different types of people that come his way. And unfortunately, Pinocchio has a tendency in the cartoon to keep listening to the wrong characters. And he really kind of goes from bad to worse. He keeps not listening to Jiminy Cricket. He keeps following these other characters until he ends up, you remember, on the island and everybody's being turned into animals and all of that. And fortunately, he is eventually rescued and brought out of that. And so though the movie almost ends in disaster, one of the central points that's being made in that cartoon is friends matter. The people that you choose to be with have a great influence on not only you and your character, but your destiny. So today, we're going to look at this life hack of why friendships matter and how do we choose friends and companions wisely. So we'll dive into our text. Now notice Proverbs 13.20, this is again a fairly well-known proverb, very simply tells us that our friends, our companions, the people we walk with have great influence. And notice in the text, again, when you're reading Hebrew poetry, they don't care about rhyme. They care about what's known as parallelism. They're giving these ideas. They'll give either one idea and kind of strengthen it, or they'll give opposite ideas that are linked together that are telling you you're kind of looking at the one thing and then it's reverse. And that's what's happening here in Proverbs 13.20. They're the writer is telling us there's two paths. There are two ways to conduct your life. There are two group of people. So we can either choose to walk with the wise or we can choose to be a companion of fools. Our companions, our friends, the people that we invest our time in can either be wise or they can be foolish. And notice that the proverb lets us know right off the choice I make on who I walk with will determine the fruit that I get in my life. It will determine the harvest that's going to come back to me. So if you walk with the wise, you yourself become wise. But if you walk with fools, you actually become a fool is the point. But what's more than that, because you're a fool, you suffer harm. You become like the people you invest time in, and you get the results that go with that path. Now, notice here, it uses this phrase to walk, so it's not just talking about general, you know, that I meet somebody and we hang out for a couple of minutes every once in a while. This is people that I'm living life with. This is people who are my friends. They are my companions. They are the ones who I really stay with the ones that I count as my closest relationships, 
it's telling us you're going to become like them. If we walk with the wise, we grow wiser. So the influence is going to be there. The question is, which way will the influence be? Will it be for good or for bad? Will it be for wisdom or will it be for foolishness? Will it be for blessing or will it be for curse and harm? So if we walk the wise, you're going to grow wise. If you walk with fools, you're going to become foolish and you're going to suffer the consequences that fools do. So the writer wants us to understand, remember in Proverbs, all of these sayings are given to help us understand, here's how you live life. And here's what the writer is telling us. One of the most important decisions in life is whom I will choose to invest my time, with whom I'm going to invest my time. And hear that, the way that I'm putting that. Time is a resource. I don't care how wealthy you are, you have 24 hours a day. You can't buy any more time. And you choose, and I choose, everyone chooses with whom I will invest time. And that choice will have a huge influence on the direction and the results of my life. And this is true whether the people I am walking with and are my companions are friends, if it is a spouse, if it is a business partner, whomever I am investing significant quantities of time with, any important relationship in life, it is going to have a great influence in my life. Now this principle here in Proverbs, it's in other verses in Proverbs, which we've got in the discussion guide, the devotional, that you can look up this week, but it's not just Proverbs, it's all over the scripture. So let me give a couple other scriptures that show the same principle. In Psalm 1-1 we read, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. And it goes on to say, but his delight's in the law of the Lord, uh, which is the opposite path there. Psalm 1 is an introductory psalm to the entire book of Psalms. The very first word in it, in the Hebrew, is the word for blessed. Which, and it happens to start with the A, if you will, of the Hebrew alphabet. It's saying, here's the beginning. Here's the ultimate choice. And there's really two paths that you could walk down. One of them is with wise people. One of them is walking in the way of the word of the Lord. The other one is, as it puts here, walking in the counsel of the wicked or standing in the way of sinners or sitting in the seat of of mockers. So the wise walk the path of blessing, which is not in the company of foolish, wicked people who mock God and his ways. Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians 15 and says, look, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. The Corinthians had fallen in. He's actually talking about resurrection here. They'd fallen in with some bad characters. They'd fallen in with false teachers, and they had fallen in with a group that was known as the Gnostics. The reason they didn't believe in the resurrection was these were people who said, what I do with my body doesn't matter. The body is not of any consequence. So earlier in the book, we've learned that they were saying, well, you can sleep around and you can have sex with whoever you want. It doesn't matter what you do with your body. You can have your spirit and your heart right with God, and what you do with your body is of no consequence. And it goes all the way through the letter until you come down to the, at the end, they say, well, then therefore there is going to be no resurrection. And Paul says, this is where this, the whole thing was ultimately going to end up, and you've completely denied the gospel. And he's telling the Corinthians, don't be misled by the, these people. Bad company corrupts good character. And this is actually not even a, a new saying by Paul. It's a quote by a Greek poet named Menander. So he's quoting to the Corinthian Greeks one of their own poets, and he's saying, this guy had it right. If you hang around with bad company, it's going to corrupt your character. It's going to change your character and not for the better. This is somewhat like the saying, one bad apple does what? Spoils the whole bunch. Now, that was an old proverbial saying. It's been around for a long time, and we just looked at it. We now scientifically actually know why that happens. 
when fruit gets overripe, it starts releasing ethylene gas, and the ethylene gas gets on the other fruit and makes it ripen even more quickly. And so everything quickly, instead of taking days and days and days to go through ripening, it suddenly quickly is overripe and it's rotten. Now, we know that now, that it's this noxious gas that goes out and does all that, but everybody else was able to figure it out for a long time. If I have a bowl of good apples and I stick a rotten apple in there, the rotten apple doesn't suddenly retrograde and go back and become perfectly ripe. In fact, what happens is all the other apples become rotten. We like to think it's going to be a two-way street, but it's not. And it's not just true with apples. I used to, to work in computers, and you have clean rooms. And if I go into a clean room where everything has to be done, where they're like making silicon wafers or they're making hard disks, and you do this, if I go into this perfectly sanitary room and I'm covered with dirt, do I become clean by going into the room or do I infect the entire room? You infect the whole room. If you have a room full of healthy people, and a sick person walks in, does he get healthy by being, I mean, if there's a hundred perfectly healthy people and the person that's got a virus walks in, do they become healthy by walking into the healthy people or do they infect the healthy people? Okay, think about it. every area of life. There's only one person and one circumstance that it does not work this way, and that's God. Thanks be to God, he can clean up we sick, rotten people. But, you can't, and nor can I, and nor can anyone else. It always works that way. People today want to say, well, it doesn't really matter. Yes, it does, and it's always that way. It always is bad company corrupts good morals. Good company doesn't perfect morals. It gets corrupted by the bad. Now, Again, this is not, let me be careful to say, this does not mean we hermetically seal ourselves off and I don't talk to anybody that's not a Christian or anything about that. But it is saying who you invest your time with is going to determine your ultimate character and your destiny. It has an effect. And therefore, the wise person chooses very carefully the group with whom they surround themselves, the people with whom they invest the majority of their time. Now, how do we work that into our life? So here's where the life hack, so to speak, comes in. How do we choose friends wisely? How do I choose people that will help me grow wise rather than growing foolish? People will help me get closer to God rather than pulling me away. Well, the first thing is, as the proverb tells us, you choose wise and therefore righteous friends. Notice Proverbs 13, 20 again. If you want to grow wise, who do you walk with? The wise. Can I grow wise by walking with fools? I may initially even feel wise by hanging out with fools, but over time, I don't become more wise by hanging out with fools. You become wise by hanging out with the wise. In Proverbs, wisdom always includes morality. It always includes a desire to know and walk with God and in his past. Wisdom is understanding who God is, who we are, how the universe he's made operates. Proverbs uh, begins way up front in Proverbs 1-7. There's an introduction explaining what the book is going to be and how you're going to grow wise by reading it. And the introduction is summarized in Proverbs 1-7, where it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So notice once again, Wisdom is opposite of folly. It's the opposite of foolishness. And wisdom is characterized as the fear of the Lord. Knowledge is the word he uses there, but knowledge and wisdom are not meant to be sealed off in this book. They're both referring to ultimately the same thing. Notice in Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Again, see the same parallel ideas. He's telling you the same thing twice here. So look, if you want to be wise, here's where it's found. You fear Yahweh. If you want to really understand, you get to know God. 
Proverbs will tell us that wise people fear Yahweh, fools despise God, His wisdom, and His ways. Remember Psalm 1. They're the ones who mock. They are the ones who would rather walk in the ways of sin. So Proverbs would tell you and me, no matter how smart someone may be, or how successful in worldly terms, if they do not know, love, serve, and obey God, they're not wise. They're fools. Their IQ may far exceed mine. You can be a very crafty, smart fool. You can't even educate your way out of foolishness. Uh, C.S. Lewis famously observed years ago that our modern world thinks that education is going to be our salvation. Lewis was a very educated man, but he quipped, look, if you take a guy who's a card shark and you educate him, all you've got is an educated card shark. He's just going to be better at cheating you. You're just not going to be able to catch him as easily because his essential character is that of a liar and a cheater. And you can't just educate someone out of that. So Proverbs is saying, look, the beginning of this is you've got to become a fearer of Yahweh. You've got to come into a relationship with God. So we, the first thing we're looking for is wise and righteous friends. And this is pointed out in the book of Proverbs again. The wise and the righteous are on one path. Fools and the wicked are on another path. In Proverbs chapter 4, He's going along, and it's a, it's a father teaching his son in this part of the book and explaining it. And here's what it says. It says, uh, and, and he's speaking in the voice of wisdom. He says, I will guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. So notice you're on the path of wisdom. It's flat. It's easy. You can even run down it. Now, down in verse 18, he picks up and he says, The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter to the full light of day. So again, you've got the path of wisdom is the path of righteous, and it's a path full of light. And in fact, the further you go, the brighter it gets. In contrast, in verse 19, But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. So notice again how completely different these paths are. There are people who are walking the path of wisdom. It is the path of righteousness. It is the path of knowing God. And the further they go along the path, the brighter and brighter and brighter it gets. There are other people who do not want to know God. They do not want to walk in God's ways. They're walking the path of the fool. And rather than it being full of light, it's full of darkness. And if you follow the metaphor, it's actually getting darker and darker and darker as you go along. And instead of being able to run, you can't even walk because you're constantly tripping over things. You are stumbling. You are falling. But you don't even know what makes you stumble and fall. But here's the one thing the fool doesn't want. I don't want to change paths. I want to stay on this path. That's what Proverbs would tell us. And Proverbs would say, pick friends who want to walk on the path of wisdom. Pick friends who want to walk in the path of the light, not those who love the darkness and would want to mock the light. That's what it tells us to do. So that's the first step. Second part of it is choosing friends who encourage and strengthen us in our walk with God. In other words, if you're going to try and walk the path of the wise... You don't want to walk near a companion who's going to be constantly telling you, get off that path. You need to come over to this path. Come over to this way of living. Proverbs 27 puts it this way, another fairly famous verse. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And the idea here is that there are those who make us sharper. There are those who make us better able to do what God has created us to do. And so we need friends who will sharpen us to fulfill God's desires and God's call for us. We do not need those who dull our desire to know God, to know God's ways, and to walk in obedience to His paths. People are either sharpening my desire for God, or they are dulling my desire for God. They are helping me to know, love, and serve God, or they are dulling me away from doing that. And so we need those who are going to encourage us to say, because every one of us here, you know, when we go out, we stumble. 
we fall. It's not always easy to walk in the right path. Even if I've determined what the right way is, sometimes that's a hard path. And I need people who are going to say, yes, it's hard, but you can do it. Just like in any other area of life, okay? If I go in the weight room, the last thing I need is the guy saying, dude, you will never get that weight up. You just ought to give that up. I mean, that is the last thing I need. I need somebody who's going to encourage me and help me to do it. Uh, when I used to run distance races and you get out there and you run, you like having people who are cheering. Nobody wants anybody standing there saying, you look tired, stop, it'll be easier. You don't want that. That's the last thing you need in your, in your long race. The same thing's true for us. So Paul picks this up in 1 Thessalonians 5 and says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as you are in fact doing. And if you read the book of Thessalonians, this is a young church and they immediately went into strong persecution. They were being challenged to abandon their faith. And Paul said, you better surround yourself with people where you're going to encourage each other, where you're going to build each other up. And you're already doing that, but you've got to keep on going because this is not always an easy walk. And conversely, we need not only people who will encourage us to walk with God, we need people who will tell us, don't walk in the ways of sin, because sin is never to your benefit or mine. Ever. It always, in the end, will overpromise, underdeliver, distort, deform, destroy. That's what sin does. So I need somebody who will tell me, don't go there. Don't, don't jump in that. I know that looks enticing, but don't do it. The writer to Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 3, again writing to another group of Christians who are under persecution, puts it this way. But encourage one another how often? Daily. So notice, is that encourage one another when you happen to be sitting near each other on Sunday morning? No, it assumes you need it daily. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called what? Today. I've always loved the way the writer does that. So tomorrow when you wake up, what's the question you should ask yourself? Is it today? And what will the answer be? Yes. Do I need somebody to encourage me? Yes. As long as the answer is, is it today? I will need encouragement. And here's why. Uh, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. For, for those of us who've been in the congregation for a while, you remember we've been going through the life of David off and on in the series Game of Thrones. And we saw last year, even David, the man after God's own heart. Remember, everybody's gone. All of his friends are off at war. All of his advisors and counselors are far away. And David walks out on a rooftop and sees Bathsheba. And where do we end up? Lying, deceit adultery, possibly rape and sexual abuse, getting a guy drunk, putting a contract out, murder, lying. The man after God's own heart ends up there because nobody's there to say, David, stop. Stop. You don't want to do that. And so Proverbs would tell us, you need somebody who will encourage and help you. Now, the Old Testament actually very helpfully gives us two key examples of what we're talking about here. First, in 1 Samuel 23, we actually see David when he's doing well, oddly enough, when he's being persecuted and Saul's trying to kill him. And he's off, he's discouraged, and Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horash and helped him find strength in God. That's 1 Samuel 23, 16. It's literally, he strengthened his hand in God. David was struggling. David was discouraged. He, he didn't know, is this all worth it? Ever since I got anointed to be the king, this has been like nothing but downhill. Everybody's trying to kill me. I'm away from my family. I'm away from my friends. I'm stuck in a cave in the wilderness. And Jonathan came along and says, David, it's going to be okay. God is faithful to his promises, David. God has not forgotten you. He will keep you, David. Hold on. Hang on. God's going to do what God said he was going to do. And David does hold on, and God does fulfill his covenant promises. Now, on the other hand, we have Solomon, who interestingly enough is known as the wise man, who interestingly enough wrote many of the Proverbs that we read. Solomon was very wise when he was young. 
But then there was a problem. Solomon, we read in 1 Kings 11, starts selecting wives, and he does it based on making political alliances. The first one is the daughter of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he does all of these. And notice what we read in 1 Kings 11, 4 and 5. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And if you read, Solomon even starts setting up stuff in the temple he had built to Yahweh to these other gods. Unless you wonder, Molech, what Molech likes is take your firstborn and kill them. That's how you worship me. So when the scripture says he's detestable, it's not just saying, well, we don't like him because he's a different God. No, he is a detestable God who would tell you, you must sacrifice your children to be in relationship to me, as opposed to Yahweh, who will sacrifice his son to allow us to be in relationship with him. You cannot get further away. And Solomon, the one who had built the temple of Yahweh, the one who wrote the wisdom literature, his heart gets turned. And that which was inconceivable before suddenly makes perfect sense to Solomon. This is the power of relationships. So we choose those who are wise. We choose those who will encourage and strengthen us in our walk with God. Thirdly, we choose friends who will give wise counsel, and that means even rebuke us if it's necessary, and we listen to them. Okay? The life hack includes all that. you got to have people who are wise and will give you good counsel, and then you've got to listen. Proverbs 27.9 says, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. So notice it's saying that when you're around something that smells good, it changes the way you feel. And he says, and here's how that works with the friend. The friend, what, what does that, what has that effect of perfume is actually wise counsel. It's not just that the two of you think alike, that you happen to like the same hobbies. No, this person has wise counsel. They are able to tell you what's the path of wisdom versus what's the path of foolishness. So wise friends give earnest counsel, or that's literally counsel from the heart, pointing us to God and to the path of wisdom and godliness. And so one who does not give good advice isn't really a friend. And that means even if I tell you I'm your friend and I know you're about to step in something that is going to be destructive and harmful to you, if I don't tell you that, am I really your friend? Well, I knew this was going to be disastrous, but hey, you know, give it a shot. That person's not your friend. A friend is there to keep pointing us back to God. But we have to be willing to listen. Because let's be honest, how many of us in here like having people tell us that's a bad idea? Nobody likes that. See, I like it when people say, Brett's really smart, Brett does good things. I don't like it when somebody says, you're kidding me, right? But that's a dumb idea. Why would you want to do that? Or, Brett, I saw the way you responded to you know, one of your kids, that was not right. Or the way you spoke to your grandchildren, that's not right. You can't do that. We don't like that. But see, that's again the difference between a wise person and a fool. Proverbs 9, 8 says, do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. The difference between a mocker, a fool, who can't stand God in his ways, and a wise person is, what happens when they get corrected? Now, let's be honest. How many of us fall into the path of the mocker at that time? And it is hard. But if you want to get wise, the only way to get wise is for someone to correct you. Think of it, if I go out and I want to get better at playing guitar, and I get a guitarist, I get Marty to say, hey, would you give me some lessons? If every time Marty says, you're not quite doing that right. I'm like, that's it, Marty. I'm done with this. Am I going to get any better? 
No, you're not going to get any better. You have to listen and say, okay, well, you know how to play guitar better than I do, so would you please help me understand how to do this? And that's the difference between somebody who's growing and somebody who's not. And so Proverbs tells us, listen. But see, our world is full of mockers who will not listen to rebukes, even those that come from the Word of God. And it doesn't matter. There are even people who proclaim themselves Christians that when you bring Scripture to bear on their decision, on their life, on their situation, you get the hand in the face. I don't want to hear that. And the Scripture says, actually, there's really not any point in continuing the conversation because they're a mocker. They will not listen. And here's the reality. Who better to correct me than a friend that I know that loves and cares for me? Do I want somebody who doesn't like me, doesn't care for me? See, it's hard. If tomorrow Linda corrects me on something, it's not easy. But I know my wife loves me. And I know she's not doing it to bring me harm. Some random guy on the street, I don't know whether he's out for my good or not. So I need friends who are willing to rebuke me, and I need to be willing to listen. Last point and then we will apply the word, is we want to choose friends who will be faithful in good times and bad. Because the fact is, even if I choose somebody who is wise, and even if I choose somebody who's trying to encourage and strengthen me, and I choose somebody who's even willing to rebuke me, if the battle gets hot and they're going to be gone, it's not really worth it. Because we need friends in good times and bad. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Now, those of you who have multiple sons, I, I had three boys grow up in my house. This verse does not mean brothers like to fight. That is also true, and you could write a proverb about that. But that's not what this means. What that means is the brother came along because hard times are going to come. And that's why the brother's there. He is there for the hard times. When you need him the most is when times are the worst. Proverbs 18, 24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin. You may be surrounded by people and still come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So we're saying it's not the number of companions, it's how many will stick with you when the battle gets hot. True friends stick by you through thick and thin, through good and bad times, through times of peace and times of adversity. If you think about it in terms of a spouse, to pick the closest relationship we'll ever have, the old traditional vows, what do they say that we take each other for? For better or worse, richer or poorer, sickness, and in health. Why did they pick those? What that means is no matter what. No matter what. Because you do not know what tomorrow holds. But I will tell you this, if you live long enough, you'll have times of richness and times of poverty. You'll have times of health and you'll have times of sickness. You'll have good times and you will have bad times. And the last thing you want when the enemy is rushing at you and all hell is breaking out around you is to look to your companion in the fighting hole with you and discover they're gone. And even worse, to discover they've now pointed their gun at you because that's what they think will protect them. That is the last thing you want. So do I have friends who will stick by me in my time of need? Will they hold by me when the battle gets hot? Now let me be honest, that is rare today. In American culture, we do not cultivate sticking by one another. We cultivate staying together until it gets difficult and then go somewhere else. Because there is another church down the road. There are lots of other fish in the sea, so this marriage is being difficult. I'll just go somewhere else. Our friendships hit a tough time. I'll just go find another friend. That's exactly We cultivate that in our culture today. People will turn and walk away when it's convenient. They'll make excuses for why they're abandoning their marriage, their church, and their friends. And if you want to be wise, if you want a life hack, don't be that guy. Don't be that woman. Stand by. Character is forged in the fire. 
It is not forged in peaceful times. And just understand that. Be the person that sticks it out. Because if you're around for a long time, I've, I've been part of this congregation now for almost 40 years. I mean, I was gone the time I was off in the Marine Corps, but almost 40 years. I will guarantee you, in 40 years, there are plenty of times that exit door started looking really inviting. And if you don't think so, you're kidding yourself. There are times every relationship you are in, it looks inviting somewhere else. But God says, be faithful. Stick closer than a brother. You were born to be together in adversity. That's why we are together. Like a fine wine, relationships mature and become better with years. But it only happens if we walk faithfully with one another. There is no other way. So, how do we apply this and we'll come to the Lord's table? The question we need to ask ourselves is, because relationships are so important, am I doing what Proverbs tells me to do in selecting friends? Do my friendships fit the pattern discussed above? So once again, I'm going to put them up here on the screen. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Do I choose friends that are wise and righteous? When I look at the circle of people that I choose when I have downtime and free time, and I say I'm going to invest my time, in general, are those people wise and righteous? In general, are those people who encourage me and strengthen me in my walk with God? Are they pressing me into God? Are they people who will offer me wise counsel and even if necessary tell me things I might not like to hear because they know it's what's for my good? And are they faithful, good times and bad? Does this describe the people I generally choose to invest my time in? And let me be clear, you can't have a hundred people that are like this. It's not the way we're designed, okay? Even Jesus, who's God in the flesh, what, were, what was his close relationships? We got a dozen disciples, but even within them, there's clearly three. And then even within that, there's the disciple that Jesus loved, John, that he's just closest with. You can't be close with everyone. You can't do this with everyone in this room. That, that doesn't work. But do you have a few friends that you are investing time in and you say, you know what, this is a description of them? Or do I have friends who conversely, they're not what the Bible would call wise or righteous. In fact, in general, they're really going to try and keep me from walking close with God. They're not going to offer me wise counsel. I would not go to them for counsel because they and I don't look at life the same. And I don't know if they're faithful or not. Which way would characterize what I'm doing? Because if I'm following this, the results are going to be good. If I'm not following this, the results are going to be bad. I used to tell guys when I volunteered in the detention center for years, and guys would be getting ready to get out, I would tell them, look, most important thing, do not go back to your same circle of friends. Because if you do, I'm going to see you in here again. It is guaranteed. It doesn't matter how much you like the Bible study we've been doing, how changed you think you are. If you go back to the block and you get with the same crowd, you're going to eventually do the same thing that got you here in the first place. So I tell them, get out. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Get out and find a church, find a group of people that are going to encourage you to walk in the path of wisdom. And the guys who did do well, and the guys who don't, they would be smiling back in my Bible study in the detention center again for the same problems. So how are we doing this? Now the second thing is, how do we cultivate those kind of relationships? How do we cultivate a fruitful friendship? Number one, we pray and ask God to provide fruitful friendships. This, this should go without saying, but we need to understand this. Don't take things for granted. Pray. Ask God. Talk to Him. Say, God, give Him. This is even if, if you are a parent 
I had a child at one point that was in a particular place in life where they needed some godly companions, and I wore out the path in Quiet Waters Park day after day after day, crying out to God, provide these kind of friends. And I am glad to tell you he did. And they are friends to this day to that child. Do we pray, do we ask God to provide that? Secondly, be a member of a local church. You can't float around. You don't develop those four things floating. It's not God's call. God calls every Christian to be a member of a local church where you are building and cultivating these kind of relationships. If you're part of a church where people are giving you counsel to turn away from God, to not believe God, then find a different church. But if you're in one that is, get built in, but be part of a local church. Third, again, can I do this with everybody in this room? I can't. I cannot. What I can do is find a few people. So I want to encourage you, get in a connect group. Get in a group where you get to know some people. And then hang out with those people. It's the context for such relationships to grow. It's the soil out of which they spring. And it's not just a matter of being in a meeting together. It's a matter of sharing life together. Remember, Proverbs didn't say those who go to a meeting with the wise will become wise. What did it say they do? Walk with the wise. You're living life. You're walking out life together. Weekly worship together, connect groups together, meals together, just hanging out together, go to a ball game together, go hang out at the docks together, just spend time with one another. That's where these kind of relationships are developed. And it can't happen with everyone. So you're not looking and saying, I don't feel, there's a bunch of people I don't feel connected to in the church. Yes, absolutely, unless the church is like four people. There's going to be. You're not going to be able to feel connected to most people. question is, do I have some that I feel connected to? If I don't, start by praying. Start by reaching out. Try to, try to do this with somebody else. It's not any harder than really asking somebody, hey, you want to hang out and get a meal after church? You want to come over to my house? But start building those kind of relationships. Now, we're going to come to the Lord's table. And we're coming here because... With what I just described of friendship, who in here is that person perfectly? Nobody. Okay? There are times you and I do not stick closer than a brother. But here is the gospel. We have a true, wise friend who does stick closer than a brother. We have a true wise friend who will be faithful. He will help us to walk the path of wisdom. He will correct us when necessary. He will love us and even sacrifice himself for our good. He is the one who loves at all times and who was born for adversity. The adversity of the cross for you and me. And the gospel is actually Jesus' friendship. You remember he told the disciples, look, I call you friends. What an amazing thing that Jesus refers to us who've been unfaithful over and over again as our friends. He bears our penalties, was born for our adversity, and he always lives to this very day to intercede for you and me. You have one true companion. I can guarantee you, no matter who else you have a relationship with, he is here to be that for you and me, to always intercede, strengthen, and draw us back to God. So we're going to come this morning to this table, and I want to encourage you to come and receive from him. But also, as we do it, again, let's ask the Holy Spirit to be revealing to us. Because friends, if you walked in here this morning, and that did not characterize your relationships, we need to walk out of here and plan a different path, okay? Because Jesus is walking the path of wisdom and leading us down that. If you're here as a guest, we want to let you know you do not have to be a member of our church to participate in this. You do have to be a Christian, which means you do have to understand your only claim 
to the mercy of God is the things we sang over and over and over again this morning. It is the mercy of Jesus Christ. It is what Christ has done in your behalf. Your works will only get you condemned, and so will mine. But Jesus' works are salvation for us. If you believe that and you embrace that, then you are welcome to come to the table. And if you want uh, gluten-free, if you have a gluten allergy, if you raise your hands, we will get, uh, get that to you. Other than that, friends, we're going to take the elements and pass them out and hold on to them, and then we will come to the table together being received as the friends of God. For friends, what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you that you have brought us, we who were your enemies, into your house and have made us your friends. We pray, Holy Spirit, you would meet with us as we come to this sacramental table, that you would open our eyes, renew and restore our hearts and minds. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Again, as you get the elements, please hold on to them and we will take them together in three or four minutes. As we get ready to take the elements, um, I felt like the Holy Spirit was um, speaking to me. There, there may be some here who hear this and you've been hurt. Relationships are not always positive. Uh, with Jesus it is. <laughs> but everybody else, you have, you will experience unfaithfulness. You will experience pain. But the Holy Spirit wants to bring healing and he wants to bring encouragement because you and I still need relationships. So if you're here and you're that person as we're going through this, pray to the Lord and ask him to empower you to open up because sometimes what happens is you, you, you feel that knife in the back and you're like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not entrusting myself to someone anymore. But uh, that's not the path of wisdom. It's not the path of health. So if that's you, if the Lord's speaking and working that to you, I want you to, as we're going along, be praying for the Lord to do that for you. Lord, you made us for relationship with you, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. In our primal days, you walked and talked with us, and we were open and vulnerable with one another. But when we chose sin, it broke our relationship with you and it shattered our relationships with one another. Since then, we have done our best to hide from you and all too often we bite and devour one another. This is the inevitable price of our sin. But you have not abandoned us to our sin. Our Lord Jesus came and was broken, that our relationship with you might be put together. And in restoring us to you, he has opened the door that we might even be restored in relationship with one another. So today we take this broken bread, the symbol of Jesus who was broken for us, and we eat it in faith, believing and proclaiming that in Jesus alone, we are restored in relationship with you as our Father and our God. Take and eat. Jesus, when we had wandered far from the Father, you came to save and restore us. You have shown us true friendship, standing by your people even through the adversity of death. Your blood was spilled that ours might be spared. It was poured out that we might be restored to relationship with the Father and with one another. So we lift up this cup 
giving you thanks for so great a salvation which has been bought by your blood. Friends, take and drink the cup of the Lord. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Remind us of all the covenant privileges we enjoy as sons and daughters of God. Draw us close to our Father. Feed, lead, and guide us daily. Holy Spirit, build us together as a dwelling place for God. Fill us that we might be one with God and with one another. Empower us to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Encourage us that we might move past our fears and trust one another so that we might enjoy the true friendships for which we have been created. And finally, make us more like Jesus so that we might be faithful friends in the midst of an unfaithful world. We ask this in the name of Jesus. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. And I encourage you again to receive God's blessing uh, as His word of benediction is read. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and one mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go forth blessed and be a blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.